But anyways, it's Easter weekend, uh, and I thought long and hard about what to talk about. I could have easily done just a simple Easter sermon, but I thought about starting another series, and you'll notice that most of the sermons that I share with you uh, will be series. But I wanted to start a series talking about what's going on in light of uh, our present day right now. So in light of coronavirus, COVID-19, the suffering and the death that we see in this world. Uh, the series that I've uh, started uh, or I want to start with you guys is titled Tears, Understanding Evil, Suffering and the Cross. And how we're going to talk about in this series, um, we're going to talk about uh, the evil and suffering that we see and how we can better understand it as Christians. But also we're going to be looking at the cross as a place to find peace, to find comfort and reassurance at a time like now. You see, one of the questions that we see all the time, and I see it a lot on social media, and people have this big question of, why did God allow this to happen? Why is there coronavirus? Why is there COVID-19? Why is God allowing this to carry on? Right? And, and our statements like, oh, God made the coronavirus so that we can get our act together. Right? I see this all the time for some reason. And I'm not saying this is necessarily uh, wrong, but there's something that I want to challenge in those statements. Right? The biggest problem in saying that, that we're, is that we're contributing uh, suffering, pain, evil, all these terrible things to God. Right? We're basically saying when we ask this question, we're saying it's God's fault. For doing all of this right and that's what i want to question now some of us think or we may think well god has a plan you know god is purposely doing all of this for a reason god will pull through and show up right we just need to believe and trust god now i'm not against this this kind of mentality don't get me wrong okay uh, but i think it's important to have a belief and a trust in god Regardless, or well, I think it's important that we have a belief and trust in God, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But if we continue to only think this way, we run into a contradiction of God's character, right? And to be honest with you, this misunderstanding of evil and suffering um, has basically tainted the image of God as we know it. You see, some of us suffering, tragedy, um, and uh, things of this like has really hit close to home. And maybe because of that suffering and tragedy, your view or your image of God has drastically changed. Maybe you've cursed God because of the hurt and pain. Maybe you've turned away from God because of the, you feel like God can't understand what you're going through. And I, I, I hope in this three-part series, what I can achieve is I can bring justice to the image of God. And that I pray by the end of this series you will have a better grasp and understanding of evil and suffering. And you'll have a clearer picture of the God that we worship, despite the evil and suffering we see in this world. And at the end of the series, at each part of the series, I'm going to point to the cross because I believe the cross is the answer and the key in understanding all the evil and suffering we experience as of today. To begin, I want to uh, read our scripture reading once again. Uh, I know we read it earlier, but let's read it one, one more time. And I'm actually going to read this time from the New King James Version. I was looking through a few different versions, and this one really, uh, really uh, struck uh, my heartstrings. Uh, and I like this a lot. So let's read Matthew or Psalms 23, verses 1 to 6. Um, and this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you remember, last summer, I actually shared a sermon based on um, the fourth verse of this psalm. It was after VBS. Now, I didn't really go too much into depth, um, but, but in light of the series, uh, we are starting about this understanding of evil and suffering. I thought that this psalm was the most appropriate passage to begin with. Um, and by far, it's one of the most well-known uh, psalms and well-known poems of the Psalms of David that's used during a time of uncertainty and struggle. We hear this all the time. There's songs written after this. I'm sure this has been uh, put on refrigerator magnets, on um, the posters, banners, on Instagram posts. Uh, you see this everywhere. It's a very beautiful psalm, and it's used a lot in times like now. Uh, and to begin this series, I actually want to do uh, a breakdown of, of this psalm in particular and pull away four different lessons in which uh, maybe can change the way that you think about this psalm or give you more insight at a time uh, like now. First of all, let's start with the first verse. The first verse of this psalm, we see, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, the word want actually can, um, in this context, have two different connotations. The first being want as in desire. For example, I want to go to church. I want to eat pizza. I want a cookie. Right? And then there's want as in lack. Right? My hair is in want of a haircut. My car is in want of an oil change. Uh, my hair doesn't need a haircut. My car does need an oil change. But... The word want can have two different connotations in this context. And interestingly enough, uh, the word want derives from the word vaunt, right? Which is actually Old Norse. And if you're not familiar with Old Norse, it's basically uh, a North Ger Germanic language that was spoken by inhabitants of Scandinavia. And that's just random. But anyways, want conveys this sense in the original uh, Old Norse. It conveys a sense of lack which then eventually broadened over time into a sense of desire. And it makes sense, right? Because we often desire the things that we don't have, that we lack, right? So it works out either way. Um, so if we look at the beginning of Psalms 23, and if we look at them both in this connotation, we find something very fascinating and very meaningful when we change it a little bit. Um, so I'm going to reword this first sentence with you in both connotations, okay? The first connotation uh, wanting as in desire, like I want a cookie, would sound like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I could ever want. And this tells us that God satisfies everything. All of my desires, right? God is the God of all of my desires. The Psalms as David, uh, he knows this very well, right? Um, and he says that God fulfills every single desire that we could ever imagine. Look at Psalms uh, 37 verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Very clearly, right? God will fulfill all the desires of your heart. The second connotation, wanting as in lack, would sound like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. King David basically is saying this, you guys. I lack nothing. 
right? He doesn't say this in the sense that, oh, I have all the riches, I have you know, all the money, I have uh, everything that I could ever want in the world, uh, I'm the king, so I don't need anything. He's not saying this. It's not about financial gain. It's not about financial success. He's saying that he has God, and God is more than enough. Psalm 37 verse 25 says this, I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. You see, God is the provider of it all. And David clearly knows this. He knows that God provides for each and every one of us. He has our back and he's watching out for you and I. I mean, this statement shouldn't be surprising. Okay? Think about all the stories in the Bible where God is constantly taking care of his people. Right? The people that follow him, the Israelites, right? the prophet Elijah, Elisha, right? the disciples of Jesus. We have to remember that it's not only the believer that receives and experiences the warmth of the sun and the, and the calming ocean breeze. It's even the non-believer that experiences it as well. But the difference is that the believer acknowledges that it's God who's providing and not just mere coincidence. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting shadows. You see, the first stanza in the Psalms reminds us this. David reminds us that when life is difficult, when things seem to be going downhill, he reminds us that we can find a sense of peace in knowing that God is still the God of this universe, that God is sitting on the throne and he will continue to be that great provider for you and I. But it's also a reminder that God will provide for our needs and not only our, pressure, our pleasures. I'm sure many of you are familiar with uh, Maslow's um, basic uh, human needs pyramid. I'm sure you've, if you've studied in psychology, or if you've just been curious, or you just even Google it, you'll see a pyramid describing uh, basic human needs. Um, but basically, the ideal, I'm not going to talk about this in, in too much depth, but basically there are different needs that we as humans need to have satisfied, uh, and it works in a pyramid, right? The things on the bottom of the pyramid, you must satisfy before you satisfy the things after that, right? And so it works its way up, and you'll see in this image here of what it looks like. Um, but they say it begins with your psychological needs, and then safety needs, your belongingness and love needs, esteem needs, and then self-actualization. Um, but when I look at this, or when we look at this, okay, the reality is that this is great. Okay, this is just you know modern psychology. This is what what the world teaches us. Uh, but I believe that this isn't our most basic need. Okay, we would think that shelter, food, water, and even air, okay, would be the most basic need. But the reality is, is this: our greatest, most basic need as a Christian today is salvation. And the great thing is this, we serve a God who has more than ever, more than enough, given that salvation for you and I. And that's what points to the beautiful story of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. God was willing to supply us with salvation at the cost of the death of his own son, right? Look at Romans 8.32. Paul states it way better than I can. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
This is the lesson that we take from the first stanza of Psalms 23. Lesson one, when we have God, we have more than enough. All right, let's move on. Let's look back at verse two and three and then also verse six. And this is what it says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And then verse six, surely goodness and his mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You see, back in 2011, I was actually a summer missionary um, at Adventist Elementary School in Korea. And one of the things that we used to do there is we used to go on these field trips all the time. And it was actually one of my favorite things about uh, being a part of this teaching experience as a missionary. Uh, but they would go to like different museums, different parks, uh, and, and so on. And it was a great way for me to see Korea, but also to spend time with little kids. And uh, I think it was really just a memorable experience for me. And I'm sure parents would understand this, but one of the things that we would have to do on every field trip that we would go on is the teachers would have to split up. And then we would have a group of teachers in the front and a group of teachers in the back, right? And so as we were going from place to place, a group of teachers would lead the way, but then also a group of teachers and myself would be in the back to make sure no one was wandering around, getting lost and whatnot. Here are some pictures of some of the kids. Um, I'm actually really curious on where these kids are now, but um, some of these cute kids here. Uh, but anyways, uh, that's what we would do. Teachers would lead in the front so that we'd know where we were going. And then teachers would follow from behind to make sure that none were getting lost and everyone was safe and all together. The reasoning is basically twofold for why we do this, right? And if you're a parent, you understand if you're a kid, you know, you're, you're the ones being followed and led. But the reasoning is twofold. One, it keeps them together in a group, right? It keeps them together. And two, it, it keeps them reasonably safe and close enough just in case bad things were to happen. And I think it's so interesting because in the psalm, we find something very similar happening, right? We see that the shepherd is leading us, right? And he's also protecting them from behind, right? He allows his sheep enough freedom to frolic around and to explore. Yet at the same time, he's keeping them within their vision from behind. He's guiding them from the front and protecting them from behind. So we are not only led by the shepherd, we are followed by the shepherd. Okay. Now, you may be wondering, okay, in verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. But who is goodness? Who is mercy? Right? The definition of goodness and mercy, the, the who is God. Right? It's God who's good. It's God who's merciful. And interestingly enough, if you look at the Hebrew word to follow, as you see on the screen, it's uh, radaf. I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's radaf, right? Which also implies this ideal of pursuit, right? Which means God's care for us, God following us, is not just a aimlessly following. God is pursuing us. He's being active. He's being intentional, right? It's protective in a, in a good way, right? Now, some of you may wonder, What's the point of God being so protective? Like, why does God have to be so protective in all of this? But when we continue through the Psalms, you'll see why very clearly. Because the shepherd is going to lead us into some very sketchy places um, as well. And this is the point. As many of you guys know and have experienced for yourself, if you are alive, then you'll experience this. But life isn't always about green pastures, beautiful sunsets, and, you know, nice ocean breeze or whatever else makes you happy you see that life is more than just that, right? You see that the shepherd leads us to these great places, right? 
sunsets, ocean breeze, green pastures. But the shepherd also leads to some darker places as well, right? When you look at verse 4 and 5, it shows exactly that. The valley of the shadow of death, enemy territory. And I think it makes a lot of sense why God is a little protective. Think of it this way. When do you need someone to lead you the most? Is it when you're in the peaceful, lush pastures? Or is it when you're in the valley of darkness, of difficulty and death? Think about that. Lesson two is this. From the psalm we get, who's got our back? It's God that has our back. Now let's move on and look at verse 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Now, I think uh, this is quite interesting, actually, uh, because even though the, the Psalms David walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he says he'll fear no evil. How many of you guys are afraid of death? How many of you guys are afraid of, of going through this valley of the shadow of death. You know, I think there was a time when I was younger where I was absolutely terrified of dying because I thought like the ideal of never waking up again and like not existing anymore and then imagining like my parents being all sad for me because I like died, like for me that was most terrifying thing ever. And I felt like no, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And then when I got through like high school, early college, I thought you know, my thinking changed. And I was like, you know, if I die, I die, whatever, you know. Um, and then now, after many years later, um, experiencing near-death situations and, and people that I, that I love and know that have passed away, it started to make me value life even more. And as I started to value life more, uh, death became more of a scarier thing. It became an unknown and it became something that I, I dreaded, right? Um, but David here is doing something very interesting, right? Look at what he does when it, when it comes to death and evil, right? He says, I will fear no evil. He shows no fear. Now, if you look out through history, um, and if you study like Christian history especially, there are so many saints, so many martyrs who die happily, standing up for what they believe in, right? And they hold on, I'm sure they held on to this Psalm of David, and you can read story after story of these people, these Christian martyrs, these saints, burning at the stakes, singing songs of glory and praise to the Most High as, as the fire engulfs them. You know, the, this one um, pastor, his name is C.H. Spurgeon, he once said this. He said, death is not the house, but the porch. If no one has yet to do so, let me break something to you some unfortunate news. You're going to die, okay? And that may seem very harsh, but that's the reality. You're going to die one day, and I'm going to die one day, right? Whether you like that or not, that's the reality, that we eventually will die. Death is inevitable. From the moment you are born, you will eventually come to rest. But the question now becomes, how do you want to die, right? Will you die with courage or will you die with fear? And I think the Psalms as David leads by example. And we should die like David. Now David, if you look in his life, he died like a man. Okay, On his deathbed, as he's speaking to his son Solomon, he says this in 1 Kings 2, 1-2. It says, When David's time was to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go... To, uh, go, I am about to go the way of all the earth. 
Go be strong and show yourself a man. You see, he died with the words and the will of God in his heart. But how was this possible? It was because he was preparing himself all his life for death. He knew that he could die without fear because of what we find in Psalms 23, 4. For you are with me. You see, saying this, this idea that death is not the house but the porch simply means this. Death is not the final thing. Death is not the last thing. The last thing we'll see is the house, right? Death is simply the porch. Heaven is the home. Heaven is the house. David was, willing, or was able to, to confidently without fear die because he knew that death was not the end point of his existence, but heaven in the instant that he wakes up, that heaven would be the home in which he would be welcomed into. Lesson three is this. Death is not the house, but the porch. This leads us to our next point. And this is it. Listen, this is not point four, but or lesson four, but hear this. While it is true that the shepherd leads us to dangerous places and deathly places, it is also equally true that he leads us through them. Look at verse four again, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why should he fear no evil? We just said, because God is with him. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So, so basically, enemy territory, right? Now, first of all, wait a second. Why in the world would the shepherd lead us to an uncertain place? A place of the enemy to prepare a table. That means you're going to take a seat and be there for a little bit, right? But why in the presence of your enemy? And I think the answer is crazy. Okay, Look at verse 6. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, let me explain. Let me share this with you. The shepherd is not leading us aimlessly. The shepherd is leading us to a specific place, and that place called the house of the Lord, which is basically this. The shepherd is leading us through all of these things, to get to the shepherd's home. And if that's the end goal, and if that's the destination, I think it's so worth passing through enemy territory. Amen? Okay. Now we have to be clear. The house of the Lord is not only a physical place. It's not just a geographical location. You see, heaven is more than a place. It's a relationship with the shepherd. More than a place, it's a person. Heaven, the house of the Lord, yes, it's a location. Yes, it's a place to live and reside. But it's also a preparedness to live with a person. Right? In this journey to the house of the Lord, our characters are shaped. As we live through this life of uncertainty, struggle, suffering, and evil, our characters are built in shape. We're molded. All the rough edges are smoothed out. And we prepare for eternal happiness in the presence of God. Now, this leads to another question. Does that mean that every trial, every tribulation we encounter is caused by God? Did God cause all of these, these trials and tribulations? Is this all God caused? The simple answer is no. Okay. But you see, this is the key. Every trial and tribulation is used by God. It's not God caused, it's God used. You see, God leads us through these things. He leads us through green pastures and still waters. 
and these things that are, are so desirable in our lives. But He also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, the enemy territory. But ultimately, the purpose in leading us through each of these things is He's leading us to this final destination called the house of the Lord. And the thing is this, the shepherd knows that there are some lessons in life that cannot be learned in green pastures and the cool ocean breeze and still waters, right? He knows that only some lessons in life can be learned through the valley of the shadow of death, through enemy territory. Um, there's an author by the name of Beth Moore, and she once said, To God, the journey is just as important as the destination. And I agree. You see, it's a journey to a place but it's also a journey to heavenly mindedness. It's a process. It's, it's an experiment or experience, right? So when we look at Psalms 23, hear me out. When we see life's trials, pains, tribulations, rather than, than seeing them as, as simple as obstacles and, and inconveniences that we should try avoiding, the biblical perspective is this. And I think... Uh, this is helpful, and I dare say, uh, even essential uh, to our experience. But it says to look at these life's trials, pains, and tribulations as important essential stops on our journey to the house of the Lord. You see, this journey is a very special journey. It's no ordinary journey because the journey, it's, it's a journey with the shepherd to the shepherd. Lesson four, he leads where we need not always where we want. Now, you see, this, this breakdown of the, of the Psalm 23, I think it's so important that, that to understand the suffering and the pain that we are going through now. First of all, we have to understand that, that God is, can lead us through these things. If we look at this as, oh, God is doing terrible things to us. God is angry with us. Like, why would God do such a thing? Why doesn't God stop that? Then we miss the big picture of, of what these trials and tribulations can be used for. You look at the book of James and you see how, how James encourages us to look at trials and tribulations as, as opportunities to grow and to build and strengthen our faith. Right? The Psalms is very clear that these are things that are a part of the journey in our Christian walk with God. You see, as I mentioned in the beginning of my sermon, if you weren't aware that this weekend was Easter weekend, now you know, right? And you see, the reason why I wanted to start this series was not simply because of coronavirus and COVID-19 and, and all the consequences that come after that, but also because of the fact that, that this series will remind us and point us back to the cross, and remind us of the death that Jesus died so that we are able to receive this, this greatest basic need as a Christian, which is salvation. And I think the one thing that we have to understand about suffering and the pain and the evil that we see in this world is that we have to remember, and we may feel this way, that, that, that it's not just us that experiences all this hurt, pain, and suffering. It's God that also experiences this as well. You see, it's God that's crying with us. It's God that's hurting with us. It's God who feels the pain of losing someone we love. It's God who feels and experiences the pains of abuse. You see, it's God who experiences the suffering with us. We see on the cross that Jesus died the death, the, the, the death that, that none of us want to experience. 
But Jesus took our place and he died that death. Now you may be thinking, well, pastor, that's kind of weird. Like we, we know God as a God who is all powerful. He's almighty. He's all knowing. Like what, what kind of God experiences pain? What kind of God like, like goes through these kind of experiences too? And you may think like, oh, that, that image of God doesn't seem right. But in this series, I pray that we can find answers to this bizarre statement. And like I said in the beginning, I believe it all begins when we look at the cross, when we focus our attention to the cross and the work that God did on that cross through the life of Jesus Christ, then it will be very clear that we are not alone when it comes to the evil, the pain and the suffering we experience today. Okay? And it's the cross that allows us to understand a passage like 1 Peter 4, 12-13. And this is what it says. It says, Peter says, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Verse 13, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You see, it's our suffering that brings light to the suffering of Christ. It's through the suffering that Christ experienced that we can look at the suffering that we experience now and say, God, like, like you are truly God. And that we can find joy and peace and a hope that we serve a God that is not distant, but we serve a God that is truly close to you and I. Church, this Easter weekend, as we reflect on the victory of our Christ in over, overcoming that death, dying that death and overcoming it, let's remember that there is a God that in the midst of your pain and your suffering, that He understands what you're going through. As we look at the cross in our moments of despair, let's be reminded that it was the very Jesus that we worship who hung on that cross that He is the very God who understands the evil, the suffering, and the pain. That He is the very shepherd who not only leads us to the green pastures and the still waters, but He's also the very shepherd that leads us through that terrible valley of the shadow of death. You see, I believe the answer to understanding evil and suffering begins with the cross. By looking at the Jesus who hung on that cross, to take on all the pain and the suffering of this world. To understand it, to understand the world that we live in now, I think Jesus is the best person to look to. And I pray that this Easter weekend, as we all have the opportunities to be with our families, to be with those that we love, I pray it be a time of reflection, to reflect on the work, the, the work of, of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you and I. To think of that beautiful sacrifice so that we can receive this beautiful gift of salvation. And as we journey through this three-part series, um, I know maybe today I didn't answer a lot of questions that you may have. But I hope that in this three-part series that we can be encouraged, we can be, um, we can be pushed, and we can be, we can be challenged to our understanding of not only God, understanding of how powerful the dying act of, of Jesus 
on that cross was for us. So I pray, church, that this Easter weekend, you're reminded of how beautiful the cross is. You're reminded of how even though we live in a world now of COVID-19, this evil and suffering and death, and these things that may not be very clear and we may not understand, that in the midst of all of that, that we can put our hope, we can put our trust, we can put our everything on a God that suffered it all for us. That as He's leading us through this time, that He understands that we're not alone, that we will get through this, and God will provide and take care of us. I pray that this will be um, our hope, This will be where our faith lies. And I pray that this Easter weekend, you will truly encounter a beautiful cross and a beautiful Jesus in the midst of it all. 